for those of you who don't know me, my name is Mike Sherman. I'm one of the elders here at Windsor Christian Fellowship. Um, and every now and then, uh, we'd like to give our pastor, Pastor Brandon, a break from preaching. Normally, we would be going through um, a passage of scripture. Pastor Brandon's been preaching through Daniel. Um, but we gave him a break this week, and so it's my honor uh, to preach to you today. But before I begin, let me open us up in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you right now, and we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you how, for how precious it is, Lord, for how true it is, just that we can trust every jot and tittle that is in this book, God. We just thank you for, for that, Lord. We thank you for the love that you have for us. I would just pray that you would bless this time, Lord, that your spirit would just be at work in us, Lord. Please just give me the words to say. Keep anything false from my mouth, Lord. Please just calm my spirit. Um, and, and Lord, we just pray that you would be glorified through this time. In your name we pray. Amen. How much do you think you talk in a day? That's a, a pretty loaded question. Of course, we all talk differently. Or, um, but a recent study showed that we talk a lot. Um, that on average, the, the, an average person says about 16,000 words a day. Over the course of the year, that comes to about 5,840,000 words. And over, over a normal lifespan, that comes out to a staggering 449,680,000 words spoken by the average person. That's almost half a billion words. Now... I will say that I'm a bit of a math geek, and so I'm going to bless you all with some more numbers here. Um, in friendly conversation, we normally speak in about 130 words a minute, give or take. So if you take the 16,000 words that we speak in an average day, divide that by 130 words a minute, that comes out to about two hours and three minutes of speech in any given day. Now that comes out to about 14 hours and 21 minutes over a week. And over a course of a year, that comes out to 748 hours and 15 minutes, or about 31 days. And then if you take that over the course of, of, of a given life, um, the average life, that comes out to 6.57 years of talking. 6.57 years to say 449,680,000 words. My wife would probably tell you that I've used up my quota, both of years talking and of words said um, at the ripe old age of 35. But I will say that in the study, um, the person who talked the most averaged 47,000 words a day. Um, and so I'm not quite to that level yet. Pastor Brandon might be close to that, but, but I'm not there yet. Um, but today we communicate with more than just our words, right? We have Facebook, we have Twitter, we have our phones. We, everybody carries a phone with them in their pocket. Long gone are the days where you have to pay for, for long-distance phone calling, right? I mean, people are just a, a, a phone call away. We video chat, we email, we text message, we post blogs and vlogs. We write articles, we create podcasts, all in the name of having our voice and our opinion heard. Now, more than any time in history, it's easy for us to communicate with more people than we ever thought possible. And it's for this very reason that we need to guard and protect and watch how we speak more now than ever. Fortunately for us, the Bible has a lot to say about how we speak. So if you have your Bibles, let's open to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one on the seat around you. And if you use one of the pew Bibles, it's on page 978. 
The book of Ephesians is one of Paul's epistles or letters that he wrote. Paul wrote a series of letters um, to different churches and people. And we see in chapter 1, verse 1 of this letter, that Ephesians is a book written to the church in Ephesus. It's written to the Christians in Ephesus, and it is um, a series of instructional passages and passages of encouragement that Paul is giving to the saints here in Ephesus. As we come to chapter 4, um, we, it starts off where Paul's talking about unity in the body um, of the church. And then he gets uh, down to verse 17 where he starts giving the Ephesian Christians instruction on how they're to live their lives. Um, now that they've been saved, now that they've been regenerated, how they're to live their lives. And so I want to start our reading this morning in verse 17, just to give us a little context of where our verse falls into the whole scheme of things. So read with me starting in verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned in Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Stop there. So we see here that, that Paul is instructing the Ephesian Christians to not be like those around them, to stop being like the Gentiles around them. Another um, way to say that is to not be like the unbelievers, the people who are living without Christ. Paul describes those people as darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Rather, Paul implores the Ephesian uh, Christians to put off their old selves, which he says is corrupt through the deceitful desires, and to put on their new self, which is in the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is an illustration of, of our salvation, right? Of, of before we were saved, we were corrupt, we were just like the Gentiles, and now that we're saved, um, we put on the new self. And now Paul, after he tells us to put on the new self, you'll see there in verse 25, Um, The word therefore, that's the transitional word, which means because I've told you this, now go and do this. He doesn't only tell us to put off the old self and put on the new self. Now he gives us a list of ways in which we can do that. It's not just a command. He gives us the command and then he gives us some practical ways in which we can do that. And that's where we come to our verse today. Look in Ephesians 4 verse 29. And Paul writes, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. But only such as good for, as is for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The NIV says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. The New American Standard says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it will give grace to those who hear. It's a short verse, but it's a powerful verse. There's a lot packed in there. Um, As I read it, there's three sections, or the way we're going to look at it is we're going to break this down into three different sections um, this morning, and hopefully, Lord willing, see what God is trying to tell us through this verse. The first section is probably the most obvious, 
says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. The King James and the ESV say no corrupting talk. The NIV and the New American Standard say, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I mean, before we can understand how to, to not let any corrupting talk come out of our mouths, I think we first need to define what is corrupting talk. You know, before we can stop doing it, we need to figure out what it is we are to stop doing, right? The Greek term translated here, corrupting, is used other places to describe spoiled fruit or rotten fish or meat. Um, things that have become useless, worn out, or decayed. Um, corrupting talk is, is speech that is used to tear down, that's used to ruin and destroy, to spoil and to wear out. We have lots of examples of corrupting talk throughout the Bible. I think a good place to start when looking at examples of what might be considered corrupting talk is to start with the Ten Commandments. And that's a, a pretty basic place to start. And when you consider the Ten Commandments, there's only ten of them. And yet 20% of them or, or, or two whole commands are devoted to how we are to talk. In Exodus 20, verse 7, we get the third command um, of the ten. It says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Taking the name of the Lord our God in vain is a serious offense. In Matthew chapter 12, uh, verses 31 and 32, Jesus tells us, that all sins are forgivable except for one, and that's blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if anyone blasphemes the Holy Spirit, if anyone talks against the Holy Ghost, they will not be forgiven either in this life or, or in this age or in the age to come. You know, God treasures his name. He puts great weight on his name. He reveals aspects of his character to us through his name. I mean, you, we could sit here and, and have a whole discussion on the names of God. You know, wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, everlasting father, Jesus, because he will, be, he will be, save his people from their sins. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. We get all these revelations of God through his various names. You know, one of my favorite stories in scripture is um, of the burning bush. When Moses is talking to God through this, this burning bush, um, and Moses asks, who shall I say sent me? And, and how does God reply? He says, tell them I am who I am sent you. And that's just, it, it gives me goosebumps to think about that name. I am who I am sent you. It's five, five short words, I am who I am. And yet it's so powerful that just the weight of that. There's, it is such an amazing name. We can never begin to comprehend everything that is entailed in those nine letters. God takes his name very seriously. We're, we're commanded to pray in God's name. We're commanded to cast out demons in God's name. We see people healing in God's name. There's power in God's name. It's more than just a name. It is power. And we as Christians have access to that power. We can call on the name of God and do things in the name of God that non-Christians simply cannot do. Yet, we can also take the name of the Lord our God in vain. We can take something that is so powerful and beautiful and, and, and perfect, and we can twist it into a curse. We can pervert it and use it in vain. And this would certainly be considered corrupting talk. When we get to the ninth command, we're told um, not to bear false witness against our neighbors. Another way to put that is to not lie. You know, lying is powerfully destructive. It has the ability to tear apart marriages. It can tear apart working relationships. It, it can cause people to lose their jobs. 
Um, it can tear down friendships. It destroys um, any type of trust that you have built up. Lying is powerfully destructive, and it is very corrupting. Our Lord Jesus Christ gives us another example of corrupting talk um, in his Sermon on the Mount. When we read in Matthew chapter 5, in verses 21 through 26, Jesus is talking about anger. And most of us are familiar with the part where he says that if if we've even been angry with our brother, it's just as though we're guilty of murdering our brother. But in verse 22, listen to what Jesus says. He says, whoever insults his brother will be liable to counsel. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. That's a pretty convicting passage right there. I know when I think back on my life, I've certainly called people worse names than fool. And I would imagine that a lot of you are in that same category. Um, Name-calling, derogatory comments, insults, those would all definitely be considered corrupting talk. Um, The last example of corrupting talk we'll look at this morning is one chapter over in Ephesians. Look with me at Ephesians chapter 5 and look at verse 4. Again, Paul writes, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are all out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. I'm curious, as you take an inventory of your daily conversation, think about the the normal conversations that you have, either at home or at work or out and about um, doing things. Do you see any of that? Do you see filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking? It's hard not to see those things, right? In a a recent survey, um, 76% of people admitted to cursing um, at least a few times a year. Um, and being the, the math geek that I am, I, I do the math and I see, based on my own experience, that if 76% of people are admitting to cursing, that means that 24% of the people are lying um, in that survey. And, 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 uh, and we've already said that both lying and cursing are corruptive talk as well. The fact is, is we're all guilty of talking corruptly, of talking unwholesomely. As I was studying that for this sermon, a particular passage stood out to me. I want you to keep your finger here in Ephesians, but turn over with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, and we come to verse 33, where Jesus is teaching here. Um, And listen to the words that our Lord Jesus Christ says. He writes, or he says, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Now listen to this. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now let that last part sink in for just a minute. On the day of judgment, every person will have to give an account for every careless word they've spoken. On the day of judgment... On the day when Christ is coming back in all of his glory, he's surrounded by angels, he's seated on his throne of judgment, 
Every knee is bowing. Every tongue is confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus is sitting there separating the sheep from the goats. He's telling people to get away from me. I never knew you. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. He's reading down in the book of life, seeing if your name is written there. He's sending people to the eternal fires of hell, prepared for Satan and his demons. And you're going to have to sit there and give an account for every careless word you've spoken. I'm going to have to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of 449,680,000 words that I've spoken. Some of which, or most of which, probably are careless. Pastor Brandon's going to have to sit there and give an account for all the words that he has spoken that have been careless. Each and every one of us in here, whether you're saved or whether you're not saved, will have to give an account for every careless word that we've spoken. This is serious stuff. But fortunately for those of us who know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, our penalty has already been paid for these careless words. When he was hanging on the cross, Jesus was hanging there for my careless words. He was nailed to that tree because Mike Sherman speaks carelessly. And for everybody here in this room today who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Jesus was nailed to that tree for your speech. Just like what we were singing today, I don't know the words from heart, but, but God the just is satisfied to look on Jesus and pardon us. He looks on Jesus and he pardons us for the careless words that we've spoken. For those of us who know God and know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. But this certainly doesn't give us free reign to continue speaking carelessly. Just because the debt has been paid doesn't mean that we get a free pass. Jesus makes it very clear in scripture that if we are truly saved, if we do truly love Jesus... That the, the way we show that love is to obey him and obey his commands. And that brings us to the next portion of the verse. Flip back to Ephesians chapter 4 and, and read with me again. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good as is good for building up. So if our speech shouldn't be unwholesome or corrupting, what should it be? This tells us that our, our speech should be used for building up. The NIV puts it, only what is good for building up others. We see time and time again how speech is used to tear people down. All you have to do is get on Facebook for 30 seconds and you'll see post after post of people using their speech to tear each other down. Flip on the nightly news and you'll see the same thing. But what does it look like to build people up with our words? What does it look like to, to encourage people to, to build them up, to say words that are upbuilding to people? This verse also gives us a place to start in that regard. Look at the next phrase there. Um, For building up as fits the occasion. The NIV puts it for building others up according to their needs. Uh, And the New American Standard says um, according to the need of the moment. The first step to building up others with our speech. The first step to, to having uplifting, upbuilding speech is to know the needs of others. We need to be in tune with the people around us. We need to know what their needs are. You know, one of the things that I love about being part of a small country church is it seems like everybody knows everybody. You know, we, we, we all know each other. We all talk to each other. But how well do we really know each other? Can you look to your left and to your right and know how to pray for the people sitting there based on their needs? Do we know people at that level? I'm ashamed to say that many times I do not. 
to obey this verse, which again, remember, is, is part of putting off the old self and putting on the new self. To, to, to obey this verse, which will help us do that, we first need to know the needs of those around us. And to do that, we have to do something that doesn't come naturally for most of us, and that is to listen. In James 1.19, James writes, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. In Proverbs 18, we see that if anyone gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. One of the keys to being an effective, godly speaker is to first be a selfless, godly listener. I had a teacher growing up who used to say, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason. In our society today, it's, it's the cool thing to be heard. We all want to be heard. We're all trying to make our voice heard. But it's much more rare for people to actually be listeners. In fact, being, listen, being a good listener is a desirable quality, and it's highlighted because it is rare. You know, uh, we'll, we'll often hear people described as a good listener. Oh, he's a good listener. She's a good listener. Not many times do people say... They talk a lot, you know, as, as a good quality. That's, that's not a, a desirable quality. Listening requires gentleness and patience. But beyond that, listening is an act of love. Listening requires our time and attention. It requires us to humble ourselves and to consider others more important. When we listen to someone, we are putting them ahead of ourselves. We are giving the other person our undivided time and our undivided attention. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul writes, Do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Listening is a great way for us as Christians to obey the second command, which is to love others as we love ourselves. When we speak, we like it when other people hear. We appreciate when people listen to us. And we, we listen, we're doing just that. We're, we're showing people that we appreciate them, that we love them, and that they are worthy of our time and attention. So after we've listened to people, after, after we've gotten to this point where we know the needs of others, then what do we do? How, how do we talk to people um, once we know their needs? When we finally do speak, it should be tailored to the audience around us. It should be, we should be thinking of the other person when we speak. We should be considering them and their needs ahead of our own needs. The Bible has a lot to say about what correct speech is and what godly speech looks like. We could spend a long time going through different passages. But if I had to sum up all of those passages on what godly speech looks like, I would come down to this. It would come down to speaking in love to one another. I won't have you turn back there, but listen again to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, the first portion of that passage. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make a tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? And here it is, for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. Jesus is very clear here that there's a direct correlation between what's in your heart and what comes out of your mouth. That, that what is coming out of your mouth is a direct representation of what you have inside of you. If you're filled with angerness, bitter, gossip, crudeness, foolishness, um, and, and corruptness in your heart, what do you think is going to come out? 
those exact same things. You're going you're to talk with angerness, with bitterness, with gossip, with filthiness, with crudeness, and with foolishness. But if our hearts are filled with love for other people, if our hearts are filled with that Christ-like love that Jesus had for us, what do you think our speech will come out looking like? It'll come out looking like love. Listen to how Paul describes love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Imagine if we were a church like that. Imagine if we were a church that spoke like that. Imagine if we were a church that spoke with patience and kindness. Imagine if when we spoke there was no envy or boasting or pride in our speech. Imagine if we never dishonored other people when we talked. Imagine if our speech was never self-serving or angry or grudgeful. Imagine if our speech abhorred what was evil and rejoiced in what was true. Imagine if when we spoke it was always to protect, always to trust, and always hoped, and always persevered. Imagine if our speech never failed. That might mean that instead of telling a crude joke at work, you give someone a genuine compliment instead. It might mean that instead of gossiping or, as we call it, sharing the uh, latest prayer request here in church, you spoke highly of someone behind their back. Imagine that instead of cursing when you talk with a friend, you actually praised God's name. People would notice that there's something different about us by the way we talk. Now I will say, I will back up a moment here and say that this doesn't mean that every time we speak that it's not going to be, that there's no room for harsh or direct speech. Sometimes the most loving thing to say isn't necessarily the happiest thing to say. When I have to um, reprimand my kids, it's not always happy, but it's done in love. When we have to confront brothers and sisters in sin, it's not always the happiest thing to say, but it should always be said in love. In Proverbs Chapter 27, we find that better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an an enemy multiplies kisses. Sometimes the most loving thing to say isn't the happiest thing to say, but Lord willing, these will be the exceptions rather than the rules. And that most of the time, what we have to say, people will find joy and encouragement from. Uplifting speech is different. Uplifting speech will set you apart from this world People will know that we are different if we talk with love. They will see the good fruit coming forth from the good stored up in us. And that brings us to the third and final point of our verse. Look again at um, verse 29 of Ephesians 4. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that what? That it may give grace to those who hear. That's what's going to happen if we are talking in love. If we're putting off the old self, if we're putting off the corrupting, unwholesome speech, and are putting on the new self, putting on this this uplifting, upbuilding speech, it's going to naturally give grace to those who hear. Now notice that the verse didn't say that it'll just give grace to the person to whom you're talking. It says it'll give grace to those who hear. You know, when we think about our conversations, whether they're online or, or had in person, most of the time there's more than just one person listening, isn't there? 
You have coworkers listening, spouses, kids. Man, kids hear everything, don't they? Like, it, it's amazing how much kids hear. Neighbors hear stuff. Even just the general public hears how you're talking. And they're going to notice that if you're talking with love, you're different. When we talk with love, when our speech is a reflection of the love that we have for people in our hearts, it will give grace to those who hear, whoever that might be. This is one way in which we as Christians can live out our faith and and be that salt and light that's talked about in Scripture. If we don't talk like the Gentiles talked um, in that Paul refers to in verse 17, if we don't talk to them, if, if we talk about people with humility, considering them better than ourselves, and talk with love towards them, people will notice that we're different. They'll set us apart from the rest, and, and they will see Jesus in our lives. Friends, we are commanded to let, not let any unwholesome talk come out of our mouths. We are to stop cursing, lying, gossiping, insulting, and talking foolishly, but rather we're to up or build people up with our speech. We are to listen to people. We're to be in tune with their needs. And we are to love others with the same love that Christ had for us when we talk. And if we do this, or when we do this, with God's help, it will give grace to everybody who hears what we have to say. My prayer is that this will be a defining mark of our church. That we will be a church that honors God with our speech. Let's pray. Dear God, we come to you now and we just thank you. Uh, for these words that you've given us, Lord. Your word is so powerful. Um, it has the, the ability to convict us, Lord, um, and to instruct us. We just thank you for the hope that we have in you, Lord, that when we, are, we have to give an account for our speech, God, we take comfort in the fact that that debt has already been paid, Lord. You're so gracious to provide a way for eternal life for us who love you and know you, Lord.